Good morning, Al. Good morning. I'm uh, forming a singing group. We're going to be the Invisible Grandpas. <laughs> I think I think we're uh, I think we'll have a, a large group of singing. So, except as a grandpa, you in the eyes of your grandchildren, you are larger than life, and so not technically invisible to that group. I think. Yeah, and uh, they like uh, pockets from an oh. early age too. <laughs> so you know, and it's uh, it's not just mine. That's I'm sure I was. No, I don't know if I was that way or not, because grandparents were different in those days. You just didn't come up and say, "Grandpa, can I, can I have five bucks?" Because you knew that wasn't going to happen. I, I, I've told this story a lot, I know, but my grandma for Christmas, Grandma Bat, sent me a Christmas card that was unsigned so I could reuse it, and there was no money or anything <laughs> in it. She had uh, 50, 50 some grandkids. And oh, so she wow. Just, she just gave us all the same thing. Uh, every year one would lie, because uh, you, you always have that one cousin that lies about pretty right. much everything. And he'd always say, uh, yeah, this year Grandma gave me $100. You know, if he'd have said <laughs> 10 he might have he might have got us. But we knew he wasn't getting $100. So, But well, every year he insisted that he did. My grandma always used to wear an apron, so that was the thing back then. She always had an apron on, and it always had a pocket on the front. Grandma would always have something in her pocket, you know, just a little something, something. And so, yeah, I just remember oh. that. We don't wear aprons all the time anymore, but I remember she wore like a smock kind of thing with with pockets in it so yeah i do remember my grandmother doing that too so it's just a maybe a thing that we no longer i guess partake in yeah my grandma told me that uh oh what a morning or something that she'd wore her apron to church and she had to take her apron off once she got in church you know she took her coat off and then discovered that she was still wearing her apron oh no but i'm sure she was not the only one that that happened to oh i saw a a nice sized flock of ring-billed gulls in a parking lot. And each time I see that, I'm reminding because everybody calls them, we all call them seagulls. Right. But that name is it's colloquial and not scientific. They could more rightly be called uh, parking lot gulls, landfill gulls, or french fry gulls. I think that would be the perfect <laughs> name for them, french fry gulls. And these were in a fast food parking lot as I drove by, and it appeared to be, to me anyway, that they were enjoying french fries. So oh. it was, yeah, it's good to see them. They've been uh, gone. Oh, we use, occasionally see some in open water in the winter here, but for the most part, they're gone. Well, do you know who yeah. I saw come back was a whole flock of cedar wax wings in my, this past Friday, I was getting ready in the bathroom in the morning and I saw some movement behind me, you know, in the mirror through, through the window behind me and I looked out there and the brands were, were just filled. So what are, what are they doing? Are they coming back or what are they all about now? Yeah, they're pretty nomadic. So they're finding fruit and berries to okay. eat. And I, I have a hawthorn tree here that attracts them every year. But I haven't, usually in the spring and fall, but I don't see them now. We had, uh, oh, some of those terrible winds and things and took down some trees oh. and parts of trees. And one landed on the little hawthorn tree here, so I, I had to, nature pruned it, so I had to kind of finish the job a little bit. So it's probably different and won't have as many berries this year. But it's one of my favorite trees, and one of the reasons one of my favorite trees is that cedar waxwings come to it, and they are, if not the most beautiful of birds, they are probably up there in a tie. They look like they are carved out of uh, 
a master carver has they, carved it out yeah. of the, the best wood. It's just there's not a feather out of place. They're just oh man, and the colors is they're kind of a muted color except for the yellow and the mm-hmm. red on there that just uh, dances above the grayish brown and it just uh, it's a wonderful combination. Now this these were on the birch tree um <clears throat> behind just by the house but also cherry and pear and that sort of thing. So what would it have attracted them to those particular trees in in my side yard? Yeah, there should have been probably fruit of some kind there oh, that well, they just, were finding. Just around the corner was the crab apple tree with all the dried fruit on it, so I'm wondering there if you go. that must yeah. must have been it, yeah. So they're using the birch tree as a staging area probably <laughs> to and they're so neat. They do pass a berry from one bill to another like an old time fire brigade. <laughs> And it it just looks to us like they're sweet and caring and sharing, and maybe that's what they are. I think a lot of it is probably just bonding, maybe even more so than mate bonding. It's a flock bonding or family bonding where they just pass that down, and any of them could have eaten it, but they'll pass it down to maybe the third or fourth one who will eat it. And it's just a, it's one of those heartwarming things. And they are... Uh, they keep they they look slow moving and uh, that they're not paying any attention but you know a flock of birds is one enormous eye and that applies to <laughs> wax wings too and that eye looks in all directions and i don't know what a group of wax wings is called that's you know a murder of crows flew over a farm field right in front of me out here this morning and their name is one of the most recognized collective nouns for birds and i enjoy seeing horn larks on roadsides which gives me an opportunity to to declare an exultation of larks which i think that might be my favorite Uh, other interesting group names are murmuration of starlings um, and unkindness of ravens which is an unkind name and i think that came from the title of a novel but a parliament of owls which seems like kind of a useless name (laughs) because they're rarely seen in groups other than at nests i know there you'll sometimes uh, folks will see a loose group of snowy owls maybe in those years where we have a great number of them come in here a pitying of doves, oh. which I think, and I'm not sure the legitimacy of that one either. It's a book title, like a murder of crows is the name of. It's the name of not a book, but of books, oh. a movie, a TV show, plays, albums. There's a band called the Murder of Crows. Uh, so I don't know if that's the same case. Uh, if unkindness of ravens and a pitying of mourning doves just. I don't know if I like those names. How about a ball of wax wings? <laughs> there you go. That's a, I, I think that's a great that's name. That's my own name. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a wonderful name. You know, there we had the full moon. There are many names for the full moon in March. The sugar moon or sap moon, because March marks the time of the year when the sap of sugar mm-hmm. maple trees flow flows and the crust moon because of the crusty snow that results from thawing during the day and refreezing at night. It's also called the crow moon because of the cawing of crows at the end of winter. And in some northern, you get in northern Minnesota, the crows do migrate south a little bit into probably still in Minnesota and then they come back uh, in the spring. Uh, Worm moon 
and because March is a time of year when earthworms appear in the soil as the ground thaws. Uh, from last week, uh, Rich commented on a text that he's bitten into a BB while eating a duck or a pheasant a few times. Man, that hurts. And yeah, I've been to, uh, you know, everybody had that guy that was a, a good hunter, but he wasn't really, uh, he could cook, but he'd invite all the neighbors over. And Dad would always say, you know, find a good place on your plate and put those BBs, chew, chew slowly there, Alan, cause there, and there were always some in there. Uh, Gunnar Berg of Albert Lee said, uh, Lorna, and Lorna's his wife, and I arrived in low light and mist early in the afternoon. There were a few loose family groups of bald eagles, but alas, not dozens. Bald eagles on the north side of Bear Lake, that's 12 miles south of Albert Lee. And he sent some photos. And Gunnar said, Bear Lake is a classic shallow prairie pothole, and when the ice went out, it exposed large numbers of winter-kill rough fish. There were the barber shop reports of dozens. And another one from the barber shop, there was at least a hundred eagles there. Yeah, you always and it, they're probably true, but boy, those barber shop places, you always gotta you gotta discount them a little bit. I found uh, from having a family of barbers. Um, Scott sent me, uh, oh, what a beautiful, lovely, uh, handsome, uh, all those other good words, photo of a cardinal in flight. Uh, Donna Bartness of Heartland sent me a photo of a house finch male, and oh, they are so red. Elmer Vanden Heuvel, um, a retired banker from Geneva, said just uh, stopped and said thanks for all the information about birds. So thank you, Elmer. You're a great guy. Uh, Tammy Vogel, a fox sparrow, is towering over his companion flock of 70-plus juncos in my yard. Saw my first of the year turkey vulture Sunday, and today bluebirds are darting across the road. Had a truly wonderful experience Friday night while outside with the dogs. Must have been 11.45 or so, and I heard a high-pitched sounding swans. Then I heard their wings. I looked up and could barely make out the flock overhead. It was massive, wave after wave. The calls echoed through the air for a good eight minutes before fading off as they winged their way north. I'm assuming these were tundra, but honestly, I don't really care. The absolute magic of standing outside hearing the birds moving overhead was a lifetime experience. I saw a huge flock of song, small songbirds pass in front of a full moon last spring, and that is also embedded in my brain. Just this week, the leaves started rustling late at night on the ground with worms and reptiles re emerging. If you can, go outside and enjoy the magical sounds of a spring night. It recharges my soul. Well, thank you, Tammy. Well, you know what Blake uh, and I did last night? My 14-year-old and I, he, for some reason, wanted to go to Benson Park. And I, before we got on the air, I asked if you knew where that was. And you said you couldn't recall. It's in North Mankato, Upper North Mankato. It's a newer park. And the cool thing is it's, it's a large area that's in kind of the middle of a whole bunch of houses. But it's been made into this prairie so you see all this beautiful blue stem prairie grass and they planted oaks so it reminds you of the old oak savannas how the prairie used to be 
and it's just it's got a great trail and it's got little lakes there's a lake in it called ladybug lake and i guess i i was there once in the little shelter but last night we spent the time walking around and we actually heard frogs chorusing and i i guess that's some of the first frogs i've heard al so it was really cool and the blackbirds and the robins and the the geese and we sat on the top of a knoll in this little prairie park and we watched the sunset and my son now is thinking he might be interested in doing some wildlife management stuff and i'm like oh cool so it was good experience yeah I, uh, you know, it, it sounds so familiar, but I don't remember walking there, but I will remedy you, that. And, you uh, got to go. Yeah. It's... Yesterday when it got so warm, the frogs did get pretty vocal at times. And yeah. They were just <laughs> ha- happy to have that warm weather. Well, that, but that's cool. And uh, Willa Cather wrote about the red grass of the prairie, and of course that was blue stem, which turns this kind of reddish color. So that that's really neat. Uh, this so much of where we live was a prairie at one time, and, and disappeared. So it's great, to, great to have a place like that. Do you know what the other thing is? You go along, and there's actually little posts that they have with people who wrote poetry. Uh, and as well, you know, they're nature poems, and I read it, and I said, I don't get it. And, and my son, who's 14, wisely said, he goes, that's the point, Mom. <laughs> and they also have, like, a little landing uh, in one of the, the Ladybug Lake that's like a little dock. You could actually walk out partway in, and, um, you know, you're, so you're sort of over the water. And it's just the neatest place, so if you get a chance, and it's got a, a statue of a Native American that's overlooking the entire prairie area so it's just got so much character if you get a chance it's called benson park in upper north mankato um go for it go go check it out it's just amazing i I will certainly do that and i love what he said when you said i don't get it that's the point Uh, (laughs) yeah I, I, i remember when i was trying to be really cool when i lived in a big city and i'd go to some of those art shows yeah and oh you know i I liked a lot of it that I didn't get, but I always felt that I should get more out of it maybe than <laughs> I needed to or was expected to. Right. And and I would mumble to myself sometimes, I don't get it. And uh, yeah, that was the point probably. I should have just said, but it, it, I, I think I finally did realize it really didn't matter sometimes. It was, some of it was just so beautiful. Speaking of beautiful places like that, uh, Penny Jacobson got a hold of me, and she's from Albert Lee. And she and Mary Jo Volkman, and Mary Jo is, uh, I think, the director of STARS Mentoring. They mentor kids and uh, do projects with them, take them places. And they are taking kids to the Albert Lee Audubon Preserve that our uh, local bird club here has uh, owns and maintains. So they're going to take them out there and walk them around. So it's kind of a neat thing and great time of the year to be doing that. Uh, Luke Hollander saw a yellow-bellied sapsucker in Dodge County. Brian Smith has a common loon on Preston Lake in Renville County. Bob Williams saw a uh, common loon in Lesseur County. Douglas Kieser had a long-eared owl in the Pheasants Forever area in Dodge County, and he had a short-eared owl in Steele County. And Brian Smith also saw a hermit thrush in Renville County. And a listener asked, when do crows nest in Minnesota? I saw one carrying a stick. And they build these bulky bowls of dead twigs high in a tree 
And crow nests are large, as you might expect. I, I would guess, and here I'm holding my hands apart again, which uh, <laughs> I like doing on the radio because people find it very helpful. Maybe a foot and a half to two feet in diameter and eight or more inches high, but they're well concealed. And crows lay three to seven eggs. Nest construction begins in early March and could continue sometimes through June. I've seen active nests in April, May, and June. It takes one to two weeks to build a nest, and that nest has a lifespan of maybe nine to ten weeks. So it's one to two weeks building it, six days of egg laying, 20, uh, more than six days, it could be a week of egg laying if they lay seven eggs, 20 days of incubating, and then 30 to 40 days of nestlings. And crows use a nest once, and they fledge one brood a year. But if they will build on top of an old nest in areas where nest trees are sparse. So maybe in some cities where they nest, they will use that same nest spot as a kind of a basement and build over it. Uh, the same listener asks, how many eggs does a pheasant lay, and how long does she sit on them? A ring-necked pheasant hen lays 7 to 15 eggs, and sometimes they will put their eggs in the nest of another pheasant. So it's possible that a pheasant could end up with more chicks than that. And they will incubate them for 23 to 28 days, and most egg-laying is done in April and May. But if they lose a nest uh, before it hatches, they could re-nest, and it could go... It could go late. And uh, this is a sad one, and I think I, I get this from somebody every year. There is a wobbly squirrel in my yard. Is it oh. injured? Uh, possibly, but it's more likely the victim of raccoon roundworm. It's a oh. disease spread by raccoon feces that can cause neurological problems. And the roundworm is found in the intestines of raccoons, and the eggs of the roundworms are shed in scat. So if these eggs are ingested by an animal eating seeds, it can damage its brain. And this can affect mice, woodchucks, rabbits, birds, uh, chipmunks, ground squirrels, foxes, porcupines, dogs, and squirrels. And the most common symptoms exhibited by squirrels affected by this disease are balance problems. There's a strange lopsided stance and staggering. An infected squirrel might demonstrate a lack of coordination, an inability to walk or climb properly, and little fear of humans. They can become very tame. It, it's rare in humans, but you know, if you find uh, evidence of latrines, uh, raccoons will kind of use the same area, so it's a latrine. So if you find this evidence it's it's best to keep pets and children away from areas with raccoon fecal contamination and it doesn't i'm sure it certainly impacts raccoons but it doesn't impact it doesn't get to their brain like it does some of these other ones on a good side of something for a dog i read a book this uh, past week that i'd been meaning to read for oh umpteen years maybe a little longer 
And it was named Walking My Dog Jane by Ned Roselle. And Ned lives, he's an Alaskan. It's about travel. It's about a dog. You know, what could be better? You got everything right there. Travel and a dog. It's like Travels with Charlie. I don't know how many times I've read that by Steinbeck. I just love that book. The author said, Roselle, Ned Roselle, said, I took my dog for a walk last spring, and we didn't come home until fall. Uh, Ned and Jane, a chocolate lab that had seen him through, according to Ned, three pickup trucks and seven girlfriends, walked 800 miles along the Trans-Alaska Pipeline, beginning at Valdez and ending at Prudhoe Bay on the Arctic Ocean. And it's just a, it's a great read. There's a, throw some science in there. A, uh, describes the the area very well and the people a lot of it is the people that he met along the way a lot of pipeline workers and everything so uh, of course they weren't real excited when he first said i want to long walk along the pipeline because they want everybody to leave the pipeline alone but at the end they were very helpful and it's a great book so i i highly recommend it uh, i love books the best thing that uh, the best thing the, maybe the one good thing, there's probably more than one good thing that came out of this uh, pandemic, but the one thing I think is I've probably read more books, and I read a lot mm-hmm. of books before that, but I think I've read more during this. So I, I think that's the the silver lining in this dark cloud. Are there butterflies that winter here as adults? Yes, uh, morning cloaks. One Christmas I saw a morning cloak. It was one of that rare Christmas where it was so warm and nice, but also eastern commas, gray commas, Compton tortoise shells or some. They spend the winter in sheltered cracks, crannies, and crevices, and then come out when it's nice. Uh, red admirals, some scientists say uh, red admirals do that. Other ones say that's a load of hooey, which is a scientific term only used by scientists, uh, that they do not. So uh, I get asked each year because it's they're one of the first butterflies we see, red admirals, and they are beautiful. I don't know. Uh, you know, I one year I think I was pretty sure they did, and then next year I, I quoted that one scientist and said, I think that's a load of hooey. <laughs> I got a, hey, Al, a I nice... want, you mentioned butterflies. Before you go on, I wanted yeah. to ask you, have you ever seen a Carner blue butterfly? I know it's one of the most endangered butterflies in the the state and i don't know if it's elsewhere but it's very endangered i was curious if you've ever seen any because when we were studying for our wildlife bowl that's one of the things we talked about was the carner blue butterfly and i saw a picture it's very pretty but i've never ever seen one it said it's only been found in one location in minnesota so i've never seen one in minnesota no i wish i had it would be pretty neat they are beautiful they're um oh they're blue when they're flying but the top side of the male is silvery or oh, kind of silvery or dark blue and they have black margins i know on them and the female is a grayish brown and they are uh, habitat loss or degrade degradation has taken uh, them away well because it's the uh, oak savanna it says they live in the oak savanna and they require yep. lupine plants on which to lay the eggs yep. so of course we're not big with 
lupine uh, down here, but up north I know they are. But still, that's one that's an important one that's uh, being lost to, like you said, habitat degradation. Yeah, and it's uh, oh, it's found. In Wisconsin has had some out there, and I think they get small areas of them out oh, New York or New Jersey or maybe New Hampshire. I'll throw all the news in there. <laughs> might be in all the new states out there. Sure. And, but it's very small populations and it's one that's uh, it is so beautiful as as every butterfly is. It's uh, what an, oh, Cornell. I got a nice, uh, not from the Cornell lab, but from Lynn Cornell. She lives in Rochester. She says there's a great blue heron rookery being threatened by development in Rochester. Uh, there's a uh, in there's an article in the Post Bulletin today. There's a restraining order is in place for 20 days, and there's a Facebook group dedicated to trying to save this rookery. So I'm sure if anybody's interested in finding out more of that, you can just by kind of a great blue heron rookery in Rochester, and something will pop up. So it's uh, it's really neat, these rookeries. I love seeing them, and uh, I wish them good luck with that. There's all kinds of stories on both sides, I'm sure, as they're always always is on the things like this but it's uh i hope everybody gets outside today it's going to be a little cooler mm-hmm. and windy uh, again yeah. and, and there's i see there's even burning bands out there you know the brown county has one and so that's something to be really careful about this time of year a lot of turkey vultures so you might see them riding the winds uh yesterday they were seemed to be everywhere Maybe today they'll hunker down a little bit more, but a lot of turkey vultures back now. So it's it's always neat to see them. Uh, they're kind of a spring sign for me, too. Uh, barred owls, somebody uh, called me yesterday, and they'd heard barred owls in their yard. Oh, Rick Mammal. And it's the only owl species in Minnesota with dark eyes, and they begin nesting in March. So in this, in hollow trees, tree snags, abandoned nests of other animals, or they will use nest boxes. And they lay two or three white eggs, and they hatch 28 to, I suppose, 33 days. And the owlets leave the nest four or five weeks after hatching. So it's, it's pretty neat. This is the most remarkable time of the year, which pretty much describes uh, every day of the year. We are given 365 of the most amazing things that any living creature could ever be given. We're given those every year except, what, every four years we get uh, that 366, which is just a reason for celebrating there alone. So it's a it's just a great we need to just look out that glass when we walk by every window and see what's out there it's glass therapy glass therapy just by looking outside but i've heard that spring hasn't come until i can put my foot on nine dandelions (laughs) nine maybe nine (laughs) yep i don't know how they came up with that number but i was told that nine and I'm happy that spring is here, but maybe not as happy as some friends in Haines, Alaska, who received 204 inches of snow this past winter in Oof. the town and 321.7 inches at the edge of the borough, and that's according to NOAA and the National Weather Service. How many snowflakes is in a snowball? I've always wondered that. Someday I'll count them. Uh, spring brings tax things. I keep good records. 
my wife keeps better ones, so I give mine to her, and she gathers our commingled numbers and gives them to the CPA. And I don't plead for mercy, but I do think of what Werner von Braun said. We can lick gravity, but sometimes the paperwork is overwhelming. I do want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you, Karen. I hope your cedar wax wings uh, uh, hang around there for a while for you to enjoy. Uh, remember, Heartland is while we're driving past. Thanks for listening. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. And, Karen, thank you, as always, for your exquisite company. Hey, Al, and, of course, just as usual, we always get people that, that uh, text in and sometimes toward the end of the show. So I'm going to, before you go, sure. I'm gonna, I got a nice note here from Mike and Albert Lee. He says, Signs of springs that he saw yesterday, the first wood tick, and he swerved for the first frog hopping across the road. Oh, Mike, you're a good guy. And, oh, yeah, wood ticks. And it's that time of year. And, uh, sadly, deer ticks are even more, uh, they're more apparent through more of the year. They seem to be able to be out on uh, much colder and miserable days than wood ticks, but yeah, it's that's one of the things. We're given those 360 wonderful days, so they have to temper it a little bit with certain things like ticks. Okay, and then I got one from our friend Rich. He said, when I was eight, I was walking in front of my house in St. Peter, and two blue jays flew and dived down on me and pulled my hair out. He says it scared the heck out of me, and at 67 years old, he said lots of that hair didn't grow back. <laughs> <laughs> That's not, well, yeah. And, uh, Rich, you were probably a Dennis the Menace kind of character walking around with a slingshot or something. That's probably why the Blue Jays got after you. No, you were probably around their nests and, you yeah. know, just in eight-year-old boys, birds don't like them around their nests. But thanks for sharing that, Mike and Rich. Appreciate you both. And, of course, our friend John in Noam, he says, Is it true that Mexican jumping beans will ride the jumping worms at the rodeo next week? <laughs> He, yeah. he sure uh, said, I'm sure Al knows this. What do you do before you go to ice cream school? Oh, before you go to ice cream school, I have something about a scoop, I, I, nope. I don't know. First, you have to graduate from Sunday school. Oh, well, of course you would. Yeah, I'm sure McDonald's has a Sunday school, probably. Did McDonald's have Sundays? I don't know. I well, think, yeah, they did, because that's one of the few things I could ever eat there. And here's one. Oh, okay. He said, two pheasants flew over my car Saturday on County Road 8, just uh, west, going to New Ulm. And he says, I am an April Fool, John. So there we go. <laughs> and I am an April Fool as well, John. I get to spend all April in a uh, classes uh, on April Fools, so it'll be the perfect day for me. Well, Al, it's always great chatting with you. We will be back with you again next week. And uh, until then, have a great day watching those birds. Everybody stay okay. All right. Bye-bye, Al.